Well, this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians as we return to our study of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some Bibles in the chair in front of you uh, in that pocket there if you want to use that. If you don't know how to use a Bible, that is okay this morning. I will be reading uh, everything or it will be on the screen so you'll be able to follow along easily, but I am preaching through, if you're visiting with us this morning, I am preaching through the New Testament book of Ephesians, and we are going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Now, my guess is there are many people here, not all of you, but many of you who have memorized Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Amazing verses. In our Awana children's ministry, these are stressed greatly, and they should be because they are such important verses. But what I want to challenge all of us with this morning is that we never separate verses 8 and 9 from verses 1 through 7 and verse 10. That's my challenge to you as you move forward in your Christian life and in your study of Scripture, that you never separate verses 8 and 9 from verses 1 through 7 and verse 10. Because as I have shared with you in weeks before, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is one of the best explanations of our salvation that is found in the entire New Testament. Very important section of scripture. We're coming to the end of it, but it is a whole unit. And I want to read for you so that we have this big picture, this biblical context. I want to read for you all 10 verses of Ephesians 2. It says, and you, this is the you referring to those who are receiving this letter, those at Ephesus, and as I shared with you, this was meant from the very beginning to be a letter that circulated among various churches, so the you is to those Christians who will read this letter, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, our first point this morning is a review of verses 1 through 7. I just want to make sure that we all understand the logic and context that Paul uses here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that brings us to verses 8 through 10. First, we looked at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and the sinfulness of man apart from Christ. You will remember that a number of weeks ago. We looked at those three important verses which set the stage for everything else. Paul tells us before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead men walking. We were the walking dead. Before we came to Christ, we followed the course of this world and the leader of this world, Satan himself. Paul says you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Before we came to Christ, we were slaves to our sinful passions and desires. He says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, by our very nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apart from Christ, we were hopeless and helpless. And that's where we end in verse 3, as hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. Second, we looked at Ephesians 2. 4 through 7, and that absolutely critical phrase, but God. It is not just critical, but it is absolutely critical. Because those who are dead can only come alive by the power of God himself. God had to intervene for us and accomplish our salvation for us so that we could be saved and rescued from eternal wrath and condemnation. But God saved us because he is rich in mercy and great in his love toward us. But God saved us by giving us new life in Christ. When, when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. But God saved us by supernaturally causing us to enter in to the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. He raised us. God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus and God saved us. God saved us so that he might bring glory to himself for all of eternity so that in the coming ages and remember I define for you the coming ages as the infinity of eternity so that in the coming ages God 
might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, and he's going to display it for all of eternity, his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Well, that brings us to our second point in the heart of this message this morning. And the second point is the title of this message, and that's God's amazing grace. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul gives us the very foundation of biblical salvation in Christ. Oh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's no wonder we memorize those verses. It's no wonder they, we put such an emphasis on teaching those verses to our children because it is the very nature, the very foundation of what sal- biblical salvation is all about. In these two verses, we find out how it is possible, how it is possible for a person to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so Paul says, he writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Wow. That's it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith. I want you to know that that sentence was one of the bedrocks in the formation and development of the Protestant Reformation in that great time of revival that swept over all of Europe. That sentence has been at the very heart and soul of biblical Christianity for centuries. It is where we stand as a church where we stand as biblical Christians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You are saved by grace. I was reading through one of my commentaries, and one that I am using for Ephesians, it's called the Evangelical Exegetical Commentary on Ephesians. A little weighty at times, but boy, they had... In one section, this great definition of grace. They said in that commentary that grace is often defined as God's undeserved favor. And that is correct. That is true. Or some people like to define it with the acronym of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That is true. But they said the word grace here as Paul uses it, is so much stronger than even that. They said grace, as used here, is God's undeserved and unmerited favor granted to those who justly deserved God's wrath and judgment. That's grace. It's not just God's undeserved favor to a neutral group of people I know you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. No, it is God's undeserved and unmerited favor granted to those who justly, who justly deserved God's wrath and judgment. God's grace is his favor toward those who were in rebellion against him, who had sinned against him, who had walked away from him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, faith can be approached from a number of different directions. 
But for our purpose this morning, I want to define it this way. Faith is the God-ordained means by which we embrace and receive all that God has accomplished for us in Christ. All that Christ did in his perfect life of obedience, in his substitutionary death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and in his ascension, and being seated at the right hand of the Father. All that Christ accomplished for us is believed and received by faith. We, it is the God-ordained means by which we embrace and receive all that God has accomplished for us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Folks, if life from the dead is given to you by grace and freedom from Satan is given to you by grace, if the immeasurable riches of his kindness is given to you by grace, then there is only one possible way to receive these things, and that is by faith. It is by faith. And we as a church have stood with all Bible-believing Christians throughout the history of the church in saying that salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone apart from any human effort or works. That's where we stand. Every person here needs to understand that. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, Paul gives us three criteria, very important criteria for understanding grace. If you were to understand salvation by grace through faith, He said, you need to understand these three things. First of all, this is not your own doing. Second, it is the gift of God. Third, it is not a result of works. He says, this is not your own doing. You did not save yourself. You did not do anything, anything to accomplish your own salvation. Nothing, nada, zilch. You didn't do anything to accomplish your salvation. When I do funeral services, I often use a quote from Will Metzger. He wrote a number of years ago an excellent book on evangelism called Tell the Truth. And in that book, and by the way, Will Metzger has for many, many years worked on secular college campuses working with college students so he faces a lot of questions a lot of misunderstandings about salvation and he says he always emphasizes to the to the students that biblical salvation is the difference between uh, do and done it is the difference between those two words do and done Salvation is not something you do. Salvation is something that has been done for you. And I like that sentence. I like that illustration. That's what Paul is saying here. Your salvation is not something you do. It is something that is completely done for you. Because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, because you followed the prince of the power of this air, because you were slaves to your sinful passions and desires, God had to accomplish your salvation. It was God who made you alive in Christ. All you could do was believe 
and receive. You didn't do it. It was done for you. And that's why he says, secondly, it is the gift of God. It's his gift to those, to those who will repent of their sin and receive Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. What a precious thing to us as Bible-believing Christians. Oh, we've heard it so many times. Let us not grow weary of it or too familiar with it. Salvation is the free gift of God. All we have to do is receive it. We must believe that everything that God says is true, that everything he says about what he accomplished in Christ is true, and receive his free gift of salvation. And everything that Christ did for us is applied to us. What a gift. What a gift. Grace, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works. Not as a result of works. There is no human effort. There is no human work to salvation. Now, it's interesting. This word works here is a strong word. We often say to people, and I do too. I'll put myself at the top of the list. I've said to so many people in sharing about Christ, you are not saved by your good works. And that is true. You are not saved by your good works. But the word works here means more than that. It doesn't just mean good works. It means any work. Any human effort or work. Not as a result of any human effort or work. And I say that to you because it's important. Because in many religions around the world, they have come up with all kinds of rituals, and ceremonies that they have to go through. And in some religions, they think in order to obtain the afterlife, in order to earn the afterlife, they have to cut themselves or they have to whip themselves. Or if they have to walk long miles on stones in in bare feet because that suffering will somehow, hopefully, bring them into the afterlife. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Not a result of any kind of human effort or works. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Then we come to a key phrase in Paul's logic, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. If you understand that by grace you have been saved through faith, then there is nothing for you to boast in. If you boast about anything you've done to earn your salvation, then you don't understand biblical salvation, and there's a good chance you're not even saved. If you boast about anything that you've done to be saved, to be in Christ, then you don't understand biblical salvation and it is possible that you aren't even really saved. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one 
may boast. Folks, let's go back to Christianity 101 this morning. Church membership, baptism, your confirmation, your giving to charity, your being a good neighbor have no power at all to bring you salvation. Let us all understand that. None of those things contribute anything to your salvation. Taking communion, keeping the Ten Commandments, living by the Sermon on the Mount, do, excuse me, have no power to bring you salvation. They contribute nothing to your salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So you may say, well, Pastor Tim, then you're saying this morning that good works are irrelevant, unimportant. I am not saying that. I am not saying that. And that's why we cannot separate verses 8 and 9 from verse 10. We cannot. I want to share something with you, and I know many of you know this, but we need to hear it again and again. Your good works do not produce salvation, but your salvation produces good works. Okay, I just want to make sure we're all clear on that. Your good works do not produce salvation, but your salvation produces good works. In fact, if you are genuinely born again, if you know Christ as your Savior, if the Holy Spirit has indwelt you, if Jesus Christ has come to live in your life by means of the Holy Spirit, then you will, folks, you will have a burning desire to do as much good to as many people as you possibly can in your earthly life. You will. Ephesians 2.10 is not simply a tack on verse but an important summation of everything Paul has said in the first nine verses. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, you are the work of God. You are God's workmanship. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive in Christ. And you have become a new creature in Christ. And notice, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and here's why. For good works. For good works. Yes, it has always been God's plan from eternity past that he was going to redeem a people for himself that he was going to provide their salvation for them as a free gift and those people would display his love, his kindness, his mercy all over the world. We are his. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Watch this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a great thought dead spiritually but God made us alive in Christ and now we are the light of Christ and we are to let our light shine 
We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to go about in compassion and love and mercy and truth, doing as much good as we possibly can to as many people as we possibly can before the Lord takes us home. I was listening recently to a sermon by John Piper on this subject. And this is what he said. The Christians who truly understand their salvation are the busiest Christians. The Christians who truly understand their salvation are the busiest Christians. You want to be about doing all kinds of good to all kinds of people. And then he went on to say this. If you don't have a burning desire to do good to others, you're probably not born again. Because those who are God's workmanship, those who are created in Christ Jesus, were created for good works. Let us go about being the kindest, gentlest, most loving people this world has ever seen. The Bible supports that quote from John Piper. Supports it in many places. I'm going to give you this morning just three examples. Titus 2.14. In Titus 2.14, it says this of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now watch this. Who are zealous for good works. Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us, to redeem a people for his own possession who are, who are zealous. Notice that word, zealous for good works. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What an important verse. I've preached on that verse before. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace was not in vain. I didn't waste his grace. I didn't misunderstand his grace. No, no, on the contrary. Watch this. I I worked harder than any of them because of God's grace. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is with me. Boy, let us understand this morning, we are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. You know, the only reason you're saved right now, the only reason when you wake up every morning that you're still saved is by the grace of God. You're saved by grace and you're kept by grace. The only reason you know you're going to go to heaven someday, the only reason you know you have great hope beyond the grave is by the grace of God. The undeserved favor and unmerited gift of God. But not only that, it is the grace of God that gives you the power and energy to do good, to do good works. The reason I do good, the reason we want to show love and compassion and kindness and mercy is because we are energized. We are literally energized by the grace of God. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that's pretty all-encompassing, you may abound in every good work. That's why. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may abound in every good work. I like that. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may abound in every good work. Let me ask you this morning. Have you ever received this free gift of God's salvation? Has there ever been a moment, a time in your life when you have said, Lord Jesus... I understand. I get it. I can't save myself. I am sinful. I'm in desperate need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I believe that you did everything to accomplish my salvation. I now receive, I now believe that you, that I want you as the Savior and Lord of my life. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Has there ever been a time like that in your life? That, folks, is what we mean when we say you're saved, you're born again, you're a child of God, you're redeemed. Redeemed simply means salvation. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you can do it right where you're sitting. You can go home in the privacy of your home and you can pray that prayer. We always have that prayer in the, in the back of our bulletin so that when people understand, understand their sinfulness, verses 1 through 3. Understand the work of God, verses 4 through 7. Understand that it's all by grace and not by works, verses 8 and 9. That they can receive Christ as Savior. It's as simple as asking. With childlike faith, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And he will recreate you, cause you to be reborn, and give you this burning, in, this burning passion and desire to go about doing good in his name, not only in the United States, but all over the world. We have missionaries that, as an extension of this church who are doing good all over the world And the best good we could possibly do for anyone is to tell them about the life-giving salvation that we have in Jesus. That's what it's about. So let me try to bring this all together. Let me try to bring together verses 1 through 10. We, folks, we once were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead men walking. But God... But God made us alive in Christ. And it's all by grace. It's all by grace. By grace we are saved. By grace we are kept every single day. And by grace we go forth to do good works in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take the words of Scripture and burn them deep within our minds and in our hearts. Thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you more than we even know how to say. Thank you for the free gift of salvation in Christ. Thank you that by grace we are saved through 
faith. Thank you, O Lord. We thank and praise you for that sentence. That sentence that changes lives. Lord, we thank you for your grace that expressed itself most profoundly in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.